0: I'm Jared Whateley. Here's a snapshot of Thursday, November thirty. Ricky Ponting chose the opener he thinks should succeed Dave Warner.
1: It's a hard one, Jared, because you know I don't get to see a lot of first-class cricket. You know, I've, I've seen a few of these guys. I've seen these guys play a little bit of, of cricket for Australia. Um, and I think the point that you made probably uh, just a couple of minutes ago about. You know Bancroft been there, not really nailed it. Harris has had a few cracks, not really nailed it. Renshaw hasn't been given as many opportunities, certainly at the top of the order as the other guys have. But I mean, I'd, I'd just go on on what um, of what's happened um, most recently. And if you, if I look at those three guys, then I, I think it's quite clear that Bancroft's the one that's got the runs on the board, um, as, as to as to say. And and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they they go that way. But if I But why is the clock back about six months? It might have been a slightly different order than what it is now as well. So, you know, I think they probably had Harris as the one that would come back in a while ago. To me now, it sort of feels like there's a bit more of a groundswell behind Cameron Bancroft being first crack.
0: And Ponting shared his thoughts on Glenn Maxwell's future.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that that in itself is a really good question. I, you know, I—I I could see him getting back into a, a Test lineup because of the all-round game that he brings in those conditions. You know, he, most of his Test cricket has been played in the subcontinent, whether it's India or uh, some games in in the UAE when he played against Pakistan. And but because of you know, if he get back in the middle order and, and provide that um, right-arm off-spin that is is and probably has always been. Um, very underrated, um, he could he could get back into a test. So, I mean, the thing with these guys now, Jerry, the hard thing for a lot of the domestic players is actually just getting a, a good crack at Sheffield Shield cricket. I mean, Glenn himself has probably only played half a dozen Sheffield Shield games in the last two or three years. So, you don't really... These guys are not really getting a chance to, to get, a, you know, a bank of runs behind them and push their name up for selection. You know, and that's, that's I think, one of the one of the reasons why we're probably not seeing the, the same amount of runs scored in across a shield season now as we did, you know, 15 or 20 years ago with the you know, big bash sitting right in the middle of the shield season now. It's a, an interrupted season and, you know, guys don't get a, a good um, uninterrupted run at, at, at putting a whole lot of runs on the board. So, you know, Max, he, he could he could definitely play again. You know, you used the word so brilliantly last night. He's an enigma. That's, that's the only way you can describe him. You, you never really know what you're going to get. Um, but when he when he uh when he does what he when he does well what he can do then we've seen you know 100 off 40 balls against the Netherlands 200 um not out in that game against Afghanistan which was is is the most remarkable one day innings I've ever seen you know I've been around a lot of games watched a lot of games played a lot of games I've never ever seen anything like that and then the other night he does it again, you know, hundred or forty odd balls to get Australia across the line in, a, in an incredible run chase and does it all in the last over, brings up his 100. I mean, he, he's done some really special things over the last few weeks, and, and hopefully there's more of that to come, you know, even through the Big Bash. If we can get a bit of a, a glimpse of that through the Big Bash, then, you know, I'll be, I'll be happy, and I'm sure a lot of Australians would be really happy to see it as well.
0: Shannon Gill took us through the history of farewells in Australian crickets, including the quirky Mitch Johnson. And I think my favorite one was Mitch Johnson ended up bowling on a wacker pitch so bad, so banner friendly that halfway through the test, he decided that's enough for me. That's the, uh, it's my favorite too. Yeah, As Ross Taylor makes 290. Ridiculous. Um, Mitchell Johnson said no. That will do. Um, And that was, I think, the the second test of the series. That was so funny. I was broadcasting that match. (coughs) Yep. It it did it to all of us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We left our souls there. (laughs) That that test will go down as history as the most boring test match, but lots of legacies. Netball Australia Chief Executive Kelly Ryan joined me in the studio in the midst of a damaging pay dispute. Was it a mistake to send the Diamonds players legal letters regarding their attendance at the Australian Netball Awards on the weekend?
2: Well, the letter was sent to the Players Association um, and the reason it was sent to the Players Association is because they had made us aware yeah, in the middle of last week that had an agreement not been reached, the players would not be attending the awards. Um, we had a meeting on Saturday morning where we continued the, the negotiations and again made some some really great progress um, but the reality was, we had no confirmation if the players were coming to those awards or not. Um, that is a significant event for us on our calendar. It is where we recognise our sponsors, our broadcasters, um, and more importantly, all of those that have come before us. So, putting, um, you know, inducting people into the Hall of Fame and and, and providing legend status, um, it's an it's an important event for us. Hence, why it actually is. Um, a contractured, prioritised event, as we call it in the Diamonds uh, contract. Um, And in the absence of having any confirmation if they were attending or not, that's all we're trying to seek the certainty on. Would we have players in the room to honour our our history? Um, And that's why we issued the letter. It was not intended to be a threat in any way, shape or form, but it was really to seek clarity from the Players Association on their attendance.
0: And we counted down the top 10 most significant moments of the sporting year. It's all there on the podcast... Here's my guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasures. I have two. Mitch Marsh's glorious ashes sentry at Headingley. If you have held a candle for Mitch, this was the most magnificent payoff.
1: Bowls Marsh.
0: Goes big. Goes very big. Down the ground. Smashes into the sight screen. There's that long on again. (laughs) He is
1: 99. (laughs) Mowing bowls, he cuts, he takes the single to backward point, he gets there! The
0: understudy becomes the star attraction! Mitchell Marsh, what an innings! An Ashes classic!
1: What a whirlwind, 24 hours for Mitchell Marsh! Yesterday he wasn't in the team, today he's
0: celebrating his third Test century. The first Australian to make an Ashes century while on holiday in England. That was how he described it. By the end of the year, he was making tons in World Cups and he had captained Australia in short-form cricket. So a salute to Mitch Marsh. Not much gave me more joy this year than that. My other guilty pleasure was Carlton and all of you blue baggers and that September run. Newman takes the mark and here's the siren. It's a roar, you can feel from the roots to the rafters of the MCG. Carlton has won its first final in a decade. Rivers launches. The Carlton gods must be crazy. Preliminary final. Are you kidding me? I'm going to borrow a line. Here we go. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? Uh, It was so much fun. They flavoured September, and you could could feel the Carlton supporters in our community. You could pick them from 12 yards.
3: Beautiful times.
0: And speaking of Carlton, Jack Silvani with the preseason underway.
3: It's very exciting. Um, it's a little bit different this year. Usually we're met with very hot weather and uh, it's about 18 degrees and raining the first uh, two main sessions. So that's a little bit different, um, but it's been great. Um, everyone's really buoyed by the finish to last year and I'm bullish of what we can achieve next year. So I think uh, it's a really energised group coming into um pre-season and um yeah it's very exciting
0: what's the first address like is it a is it a formal sit down with Michael Voss to set a tone
3: um oh well it's only the uh it's only meant to be the first of four years back at the moment um so we don't officially start until uh Monday but there's been a really strong contingent of the older boys coming back as well um but no I think the The first address is sort of introducing the new players. For starters, we've obviously got some really exciting draftees in the club and then um, some more experienced players too um, in Elijah Hollands and uh, Rajya Fantasia coming in as well. So, um, no, I think it's introducing those guys and um, then sort of as as the weeks progress leading into Christmas will probably solidify where we sit and um, what we hope to achieve and... Uh, but i think there's a, a strong alignment amongst the group and the coaches and uh yeah and the supporters i think too
0: and that's just a snapshot the full program and all interviews are available on the waitley podcast subscribe at sen.com.au